0: Well, Micah is about to continue on the same theme that we saw him talk about last week, uh, answering some of the questions that come into our heart when we see injustice in the world. Uh, When I talk with people about justice issues, especially about the injustices they see, uh, typically there are two questions I find deep in the heart of a person who's troubled by the injustices of the world. One of them was answered last week in Micah 3, and that is, does God care? Because he seems to be letting an awful lot of it go on, right? Russia invading Ukraine and nothing we can do about it. And it just goes on. And the way that racism just perpetuates year after year and it doesn't go away. And if the Lord is allowing it to go on, does he really care? And is he really watching it? And Micah gave us a resounding yes. He is watching. He cares. And so this morning, we address the other question that can come on our heart. When we look at the war overseas When we look at what's going on in our own land, the many false ideologies and teachings that are are circulating so rapidly, uh, one question we want to ask is, is is it going to get any better? Because it's one thing if God sees and cares, but if he just lets it keep going on like this forever, uh, we would almost sink into hopeless despair. And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever looked at what's going on in the world and just cried out, is it always going to be like this? This morning, Micah is going to give a decisive answer to that, answering both of the hard and deep questions we ask when we see the evil in the world around us. Now, what he's going to do here is he is going to shift tone really dramatically, and the prophets do that a lot. They can sometimes talk about the same thing from one chapter to another, but shift very quickly from one period in history to another period in history. They don't often tell you they're doing this, and so it can get confusing. It can also be a little jarring because they will shift from a really difficult and dark tone to something really bright and glorious, or back the other way again, just a hard right turn. And Micah's about to do that here. I want you to feel that when he does it, and so I'm going to recap chapter 3 for you. If you're looking at it, you might remember from last week, in the first four verses of chapter 3 of Micah, he rose up and he confronted the rulers in Israel who were accepting bribes and therefore oppressing the people they were supposed to be protecting. And it was stinging. He accuses them essentially of cannibalism, of chopping up the flesh of God's people and putting it in a pot. Then in the next four verses, verses 5 to 8, he confronts the prophets who were also taking bribes. They were pronouncing blessing on those who would pay them and pronouncing curses upon those who would not pay them rather than pronounce blessing on whoever God would bless. So he rises up, he condemns them. And then in the last four verses, he brings it all to a a stinging height. In this last verse, verse 12, he says, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, the mountain of the house a wooded height. So because of this, he is threatening the destruction of Jerusalem. Now we're going to take a hard right turn. We're going to keep talking about the mountain of Jerusalem, but it's about to change. So we go here from the mountain of the house will be a wooded height. Now to chapter four. It shall come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills And people shall flow to it, and nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The words of the Lord. Through that oracle, the Spirit moves our hearts to long for the coming reign of Jesus Christ and calls us to live under his reign today. Essentially, he has shifted from confronting the injustices of the present day to pointing to the day when God's people and even God's king will rule. And as another prophet says, when justice will roll like waters, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. He tells us this first in verse 1. I'll give you the quick walkthrough. Verse 1 kind of gives us this picture of the Lord's mountain above all the other mountains. That is the kingdom of God reigning visibly and God's king reigning once again. Then in verses 2, 3, and 4, we get a lot of pictures of what that reign is going to look like. And then finally in verse 5, a call, what we should do today. If it's going to be like that, what should we do today? The picture is one of Jerusalem sitting above all the other cities in the world. The mountain that it is on rises up higher than Everest, higher than all the other ones, and it dominates in that way. It's about Jerusalem, but it's not really about Jerusalem. Because the people are coming, saying, "'Come, let us go to the house of of the Lord.'" That, that he may teach us his ways, that we can walk in, in his paths. So it's about Jerusalem, but it's really about the king who is reigning in Jerusalem. And that's Jesus Christ, the king who will reign forever after his return. So then what he's doing here is two things in our hearts, and I pray the Lord would do this for us even this morning. He's going to picture for us when Jesus comes back, When he is ruling and reigning in this world, just how beautiful will it be? We're going to get a picture of that this morning. And that's designed, even here by God, to make us long for that, so that we are waiting more and more for him to come back. One mark of Christian growth and maturity, am I growing in Christ? One way to ask is, do I long for him to come back more than I did a year ago? Right. Is he increasing my desire to see him face to face and to be with him and to live under his just rule forever? And a text like this can do that in our hearts, make us want more for him to come back And then the other thing it can do for us is help us live for him today. If we know that rain is coming, we can live under it right now, find blessing there, and even be a light unto the world, a city on a hill. So let's dive in. We'll do verse 1 first and get the big picture. Then in verses 2 through 4, several small pictures of that rule, and then we'll have a call in verse 5. So verse 1, we get there. The prophet gives us a picture of Jesus rising above all the noise to rule forever and bring heaven to earth. The literal picture is the mountain of the house of the Lord, the mountain that the temple and the palace are on, is higher than all of the other mountains. Is this a literal picture? We're not sure, perhaps not, because it says there will be no temple in the new kingdom. Maybe this is a figurative principle, at the very least the rule and reign of Jesus and the worship of Jesus reigning uh, uncontested and visibly all over. Temple Mountains had a lot of significance in ancient days. And perhaps if you're into these kind of movies, the the, the best way you maybe have seen that is the old kung fu movies with the the temple that is up on the top of the mountain, right? The sensei lives up there and there's the big mountain and the path that kind of winds and swirls and it takes forever to hike and go up there. But you're going to go up there anyway because up there in the temple is the wise bearded sensei and he's going to say something wise. And so it's going to be worth the climb to go up there. There's going to be a fly going around. He's going to go catch the fly and it's chopsticks or his fingers because he's just so, so wise. And there's stringed music coming from somewhere and you don't know where it's coming from. And it feels almost like nirvana or heaven on earth, like I've I've ascended into the spiritual realm because I'm up here with the wise grand master. Now down below, it's chaos. Everybody's fighting, right? Swords clashing, all kinds of fighting. But up there on top of the mountain, it's peace There's a connection with the heavenly realm. And if you make the journey up though, you'll learn something really wise and profound. That is left over from the ancient idea of the Temple Mount. Uh, The Temple Mount was the place where you went because heaven and earth met there, way up in the sky. It was where we get the phrase stairway to heaven from. It was a stairway up into the heavens where God would come down to the earth and we could go up with him and heaven and earth are meeting. It was often a place where either the God or the king under the God ruled unquestioned over everybody. And it was a place where you went to learn great wisdom. So, a connection between heaven and earth, a place where God's king ruled, and a place where you would go to learn wisdom. Now, in our world, there are a lot of places like that where people might go if you want to have a spiritual experience and learn something profound and maybe even taught how to live you could go to the mosque you could go to the buddhist temple you could go to the sikh temple you could i heard the other day Joe Rogan on a podcast talking about doing psychedelic drugs to have a spiritual experience and connect with the other world, with the spiritual world. All kinds of proverbial mountains that you could go up. And back in their day, it was no different. The Assyrians had their mountain over here where they went to worship and learn from their God. The Babylonians had their mountain over here where they went up to worship and learn from their God. And over here is our mountain in Jerusalem, and we, we go up there to worship and learn from our God. Only one legitimate God, but if you're an unsuspecting person, you really might not be able to tell, well, which one am I supposed to, to go up here? Like, how, how do I, which one's the real mountain? And the picture we get here is one day the reign and rule of Jesus will be so visible that no one will have any trouble knowing what the real mountain is telling who is the true victor and champion over sin and over death, who gives the true wisdom. The day will come when there won't be all these competing ideas in the idea marketplace, but one will rule and reign over all. The difference between those two feelings is a little bit like the difference between the way the NFL feels right now in week three and the way that it's going to feel in late February. February. Right now, 32 teams just clashing it out, right? Some of them look better than others. Like Buffalo looks really good right now. My friends in Indy, we do not look very good right now. But in a month, that could be very different, right? Somebody in Buffalo gets injured. Our quarterback starts clicking and things could look very different. Really tough to predict who might win it all in the end in February. So right now, a bunch of teams clashing against each other. Very fun to watch. Almost like chaos. You got all of these games on TV in the afternoon. It's just going on everywhere. But it's going to be very different one Sunday in February, When one team will quietly leave the stadium because they've lost the Super Bowl and the other team will be given the trophy, confetti in their team's colors will come down and they will hold the trophy over their head and everyone will know there will be no contesting. This team has won. There is one team left remaining. That feels a little different, doesn't it? Also very entertaining to watch, but it's a very different feeling from the chaos we've got right now in week three. In the same way, right now, when someone wants to go climb the mountain and learn something or worship a god, there are so many places they might go. So many different ideas, duking it out together. And that feels like chaos. But one day, there will be one clearly ruling king. One visible god that we will see the face of. And everyone will go up the same mountain to worship him. That's the hope that we have that is coming. Jesus will come to rule visibly and there will be no contesting his rule when he does. That is partially fulfilled even right now. And then when these prophets give these pictures, oftentimes you get a partial fulfillment at one period of history, maybe a little more fulfilled later in history. But finally at the return of Jesus, it'll be completely fulfilled. we we'll call that consummated. It'll be consummated when Jesus comes back. This one is like this because there is a temple in heaven where King Jesus reigns over the universe right now. So in some ways this is fulfilled now that the house of the Lord reigns over and Satan is allowed to do here on this earth as much as Jesus lets him get away with because Jesus is ruling. But it's not consummated because he's not here on earth doing it. One day he's going to come back here on earth, and do the very same thing visibly in front of us. That's the hope we're looking forward to. Okay, so that's the big picture. One day Jesus is going to come back, rule and reign, uncontested. Everyone will see him and everyone will know that he is king. In the next three verses, verses 2, 3, and 4, we get four really concrete pictures of what is that going to look like. And this is the good stuff. This is the stuff that makes you look forward to it in your heart. So let's walk through those. First one, Uh, People from every nation will, in that day, join Jesus' holy nation. People from every nation will join Jesus' holy nation. Uh, We see that in the way that verse 2 and the end of verse 1 say, peoples will flow to that mountain and nations will come and say. So it's not people will come, not just a bunch of people, it's peoples, right? Groups, nations, languages, tribes, And then said parallel in the first line of verse two, nations will come and say, so people from every nation in the world are going to come and say, Jesus, we want to be part of your nation. We want to live under you. I may be king where I come from, but I want to be under you as my king. And in this way, Jesus will make a nation of every nations, a people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The book of Revelation lauds Jesus for this. It says, worthy of you, for you have made a people for yourself of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so that is why you get people from many nations going and saying, let's go see Jesus. It's time to learn from him. It's time to go see him and worship from him because the Lord has called this, these people to himself from all of the nations. Now, if you're an American, I hope that that is very dear to your heart because that means What we have tried to build here in America, the Lord really will build one day, right? We have tried to build here a nation of many nations, right? Where many peoples can come together and the idea was a a melting pot where we could just put it all together and have our own culture come out of it. And hundreds of years later, we're looking around going, why do we still hate each other, right? Why is there still so much tension between the different peoples in our land? Why do we still live in different neighborhoods and sit in different parts of the cafeteria? Why don't we just get along better than we do? Well, what we are trying to build here and mankind cannot ultimately build, Jesus will build one day and even is building right now a beautiful nation made up of every nation wonder what that will be like will it will it be like this will you one day sit in your house in the new kingdom and hear a voice on a sunday morning shout out outside Adimundo, lead us in a nigerian hymn and, and and then will the crowd outside your door sing a hymn to you in nigerian And then say, brother, sister, it is Sunday. It is time to go see the Lord. And will you then then come out of your house and join the crowd and walk with them down the street to your neighbor's house? And will someone in the crowd say, Kim, lead us in a Korean hymn? And then maybe Kim leads us all in a hymn in Korean. And then we shout to that person Brother, sister, it's the Lord's day. It's time to come out and see the Lord. And they come and join the crowd. And we all go down to the next street. And someone says, Victor, lead us in a Russian hymn. And then we sing a hymn in Russian. And everyone around you is dressed so differently in the finest of their culture and their land. And they're talking their languages and you understand them. Or maybe we all have the same language again. Will it be that beautiful as we walk down the road and up the mountain to see our God on a Sunday morning in the new kingdom? I don't know if it'll look just like that, but it will be as beautiful and as lovely as something like that. Many nations will gather and say, let us go up and let us see him. That hope in what's coming can give you patience today for the flaws in our country. If we know that's coming one day... Then when we look around and we see it's still fighting, it's still animosity. The sides are still clashing against each other and we hang our heads and are impatient and we say, Lord, I can, I can live through that. I can walk in a holy way through this political and ethnic war that continues to go on in our land because I know one day you're going to build a peaceful people made out of all of the peoples. Let that hope give you patience for the shortcomings of our land today. And let it move you to do good in our land today as we wait for the better one to come. There's our first picture. People from every nation joining Jesus, holy nation. The next one comes from the same set of verses. In verse 2 particularly, the reason these people are going up the mountain is so that, it says, so that he can teach us his ways and so that we can walk in them. So all these people are flowing up the mountain in the picture so that they can learn how to live from Jesus, so that we can learn how to live from Jesus. So the second picture is then is that everyone will eagerly learn from Jesus. If you want to learn wisdom today, there's a lot of mountains you can climb. You can go climb the Ivy League mountain and try to learn wisdom there, or you can subscribe to the Daily Wire mountain and try to learn wisdom from there. Uh, You can read the leadership books mountain and there's some good stuff and some weird stuff in there. You can dive into the conspiracy theory pit if you want to try to learn. There's all kinds of places you might go to, but there's one that teaches truth unfiltered and it's the words of Jesus Christ written here in this book. And one day we are all going to flow to that mountain. There won't be competing ideas in your social media feed arguing with each other. No, everyone will be saying, well, let's just go to Jesus and ask him. We'll gather, we'll go up the mountain, and we'll ask him. Those first two pictures are fulfilled partially in this room right now. Most of you here, I know you personally, and I know why you're here. You're here because you believe that in this book, we will find the words of God. And if we go here, and if we... Listen to it, and if the guy in the pulpit tells me what the book really says, I'll learn how to live, right? Let us go into the house and learn the Lord's ways so that we can walk in them. And we are doing this even though many of us are from very different places. I think I'm the only person from Florida here. I think I'm the only Florida boy in the room today. We have a few people from other nations, not even from the states, gathered here this morning. People from many peoples coming to become one people and say, let us learn our ways from the Lord. So that means that this gathering right now shines like a city on a hill to this world as they look and they say, those people are different from each other, and yet they're all gathering under the same Lord. What is this people of peoples over there? I should go and, and, and check that out. And In this small way, we are picturing the rule and reign of Jesus Christ when he comes back, when peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation go to him for teaching, as he gives it perhaps not even from written word anymore, but right from his mouth in the coming kingdom, face to face, we'll get to see him. That's a call to you then, because you probably have deep questions about life and what to do and how to live. Uh, we're taught to ask a lot of questions today. What, what is a man? What is a woman? Am I a man or a woman? What is a human? Am I a human? How, do I, how do I be a human well if I'm a human What's the role of government in our world? All kinds of big questions that we need to get right. And there are so many mountains that you could climb. But I want you to know there will one day be one mountain above them all. And that mountain teaches truth today. If you want better answers for those hard questions, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to live rightly? What does it mean to please God with my life? If you want answers that are good for women and good for men and good for minorities and good for everyone, they come in the life-giving words of Jesus. There will come a day when we'll all go to him. Everyone left will go to him. But even today, his arm stretches to you and you can go to him for truth and answers to these difficult questions. My I call to you is go to him. Look to him for truth even today. Let's move on to our third picture of this coming kingdom. The third picture is that he will resolve our disputes. This is a result of the second one. So if the second one is we're all eagerly listening to his teachings. Because we're all listening to him, Now he's resolving all of our disputes because we don't disagree. We don't have as much to fight over anymore. And when we do, we go to him and he say, here's the border of your two nations and nobody argues with it. So because we are all submitting to him and his teachings, our disputes with one another and the disputes between nations are resolved. The picture here is in verse three. He judges between many peoples. He decides disputes for strong nations far away. So he goes to the warring nations and says, here's what you're going to do and they do it, and the war is over. Then, because of the peace, they beat their swords into plowshares. They don't need their swords anymore. They beat their spears into pruning hooks. They don't need them anymore. They don't lift up sword against nation. They don't even learn about war anymore, so the war academy isn't there. The self-defense classes aren't there anymore because we don't need them. We'll take our assault rifles and turn them into hole punches. We'll send nuclear weapons up into space and just have a huge fireworks show with them up there. Like, we won't need this stuff anymore. You might use your ring doorbell, not for security anymore, but just to take a picture of the sunset and say, I wonder what the sunset was like last night. Oh, look at my ring doorbell. You're not gonna need it for security anymore. Our weapons will just refashion into tools because they won't have a use in protecting us anymore. There'll be that much peace and that much security. When everyone around is submitting to Jesus Christ and living life his ways. There will be no more Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine when that day comes. Putin and Zelensky will go to Jesus and Jesus will say, here's your border. And that's the end of it. And in that peace, we'll find beauty. In that feast, we'll find interpersonal peace and we'll get along with one another. In some ways, the church can picture this today, too. This kingdom in here, yet, yeah, but it's partially here with us as this embassy of the kingdom. We have this outpost of the kingdom that we are. Because he gives us with each other interpersonal peace. And he gives us peace with some of the ethnic disputes that our lands have as well. If you are having a quarrel with somebody, say you're not getting along with someone in, let's say at work. Uh, the HR manual might help you resolve that dispute or like 75-25, probably not going to help you resolve that dispute, right? Limited help that that's going to give you. If you're here in the church and you've got a dispute with somebody in the church, Jesus gives good teaching on how to resolve that dispute. And if both sides follow that teaching, they find themselves reconciled. One side say, I have sinned against you. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? the other side say, and I'll forgive you 70 times, seven times. And then all of a sudden, the two that were not at peace are at peace again. So we get that interpersonal peace when we follow Jesus' ways in the church. And we're showing the world, hey, this is just a little picture of what's coming when he comes back. One day, this kind of peace, this kind of unity, this kind of everybody following Jesus' ways and getting along, one day it's coming for the whole world when the mountain of the Lord is lifted up above the other mountains. It goes even deeper than that though. He gives to us peace in the ethnic divisions of our lands. In the first century, Jews and Gentiles who very much did not like each other Gospels proclaimed to both of them, and they would both become part of the same church together. And sometimes there would be some fighting and some quarreling because it's like, hey, you guys, well, you know, the Jews might say to the Gentiles, you Romans have been oppressing our people for centuries. Do you know what a Roman soldier did to my little brother, right? And the Romans and Greeks might look back and say, you Jews have had this religious elitism for so long, acting like you know God, and we don't. And need I remind you that you killed Jesus, right? There's tension between these people. But all of a sudden, it's not your people and my people, right? Because now, you are my people. So now we're brothers and sisters, and so now we got to figure out how to get along. And the same peace can come today with many of the divisions in our country. Now out there, it's your people did this to my people, and no, your people did this to my people. But in here, it's you are my people, and I am your people. And so that means that even though I'm a white man, the, the struggles of a black American Christian are, are my struggles, because we're brothers. And the struggles of a Chinese Christian suffering under house church persecution are my struggles because we're brothers. That's the kind of peace that the Lord can bring between nations and ethnicities in the church today. And when he does that, and the world says, how are those people getting along? There is a picture of the coming reign of Jesus. There is a church that is shining like a city on a hill. So, this came to a head uh, about 75 or so years ago in the story of Elizabeth Elliot, one of the most famous missionary stories of all time. Some of you know the story well. Uh, her husband, Jim, was part of a team of, I think, five men who were trying to take the gospel to the lowland Kichua people in Ecuador. Uh, now, i visited the highland Kichwa people on mission one time, and they're very different from the lowland. The highland people are very peaceful. They're farmers. Uh, they're really, really wonderful people. In the lowlands, though, they had formed lots of tribes in the jungle, unable to see each other well. And the dynamic became, your tribe killed somebody in my tribe, so now we got to kill somebody in, in your tribe. And then they would say, well, you killed somebody in our tribe, so now we got to kill somebody in your tribe. And then we would say, well, now you killed somebody in our tribe, so we got to kill somebody in your tribe. This goes on for centuries, and we don't even know how deep it went into their history, just constant murder between the tribes and vengeance killings going on. So after a long time reaching out to them, trying to develop contact with them, having some contact back and forth, but not in person, uh, Jim and these other few men went to meet with one of these tribes to bring the gospel to them. And at first first contact, the tribe murdered all five of them. They thought they were a threat, killed all five of them. And so Elizabeth left mourning her husband. Uh, Sometime later, uh, an opportunity came for peace between a few of these peoples. And she and her friends were actually invited into the tribe. So she goes and visits the tribe that killed her husband. Brings the gospel to them. Like most of the tribe comes to Jesus and receives the gospel. And now she is sitting next to the tribe that killed her husband and the man that killed her husband. And he says, Will you forgive me? And she says, Yes, brother, I will. So, so the tribal tension is gone. It's not you people killed my husband. And the tension between the peoples, it's not you, what well, is you killed my husband? So I forgive you for what you have done killing my husband. This is the kind of peace that the rule and reign of Jesus Christ brings into hearts. And one day, it will spread across the whole world as the mountain of the Lord is lifted up above the other mountains. Fourth picture is a result of that. Because of that peace, great prosperity comes. Think about the economic cost of the war in Ukraine right now. The price of gas way over here is high, right? The price of food, uh, the price of heating our homes. Britain is wondering how are we going to heat our homes this winter because of a war that's not even happening on their soil, right? This is the cost of war to economies, And part of why we have prospered so much here in the West is that it's been a long time since there's been a great devastating conflict. Since World War II, we've just ripped and roared all the way to the top because there's been peace and prosperity often follows peace in that way. When no one is trying to blow up your house or kill you or take all of your land from you, you can get some work done and really build some wonderful things. And the next thing you know, we're over here inventing the computer and cars are getting better and progress is happening and wonderful things are being built, what will happen when we have 500 years of peace under King Jesus? Not one conflict in the world. What will will we build? You know, how wonderful will things get? We have one picture of that here in verse 4. We will all sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. So we'll plant a vine for grapes and some trees for fruit in our backyards because we know no one is going to come and burn it down. And so five to eight years later when it bears fruit, we'll still be here, right? Nobody's going to take it from us. And then 578 years later, Already sitting under that tree, plucking a fig off that tree, eating it, and saying, Man, year 578 was a good year for this tree. Man, it's making some good figs this year. This is the kind of stuff that happens when no one is threatening you, when no one is making you afraid. You have time to plant a garden in your backyard, you have time to build something great and wonderful. And when the peoples of the world unite together under Jesus to build wonderful things. I mean, last time we united together, we built Babel, right? In rebellion to God. What will we build? in submission to God when we are all united together under his authority. Well, At the very least, we'll be having some good figs and there'll be some good grapes on that vine, and we will sit there and eat them together with no one making us afraid. That is also pictured today in the church. When we together follow Jesus' ways and there is peace in the church, and all the children are safe and you're safe, We're creating a place here where people can, can thrive together, where they aren't afraid that they'll be gossiped about, where they aren't afraid of what someone is going to do to them and then being put out of the community in an unfair way, where they aren't afraid of what the pastor might do to them or what someone might say to them. But without that fear around, we can thrive as people when we follow Jesus' ways together, when our leaders follow Jesus' ways and when we treat each other the way that he teaches us to. It creates the kind of place where people can thrive emotionally. They can thrive in many ways. Uh, One really famous Christian speaker, she's she's a woman, and she said, growing up, home was my not safe place and church was my safe place. That's the kind of place that we can create for children who aren't safe at home. They can come here. And what's the difference? We're following Jesus' teachings today, and that creates Safety for people. So when we do that, we are picturing the rule and reign of Jesus that is coming. So there's the picture. The mountain of the Lord lifted above all the other mountains. People from every nation joining Jesus' holy nation. Everyone eagerly learning from Jesus. That resolving all of our disputes and that peace leading to great prosperity. We end with, okay, what do we do then? We've got all this hope just built up. Lord, would you just come back now? But what do I do in the meantime? And verse five answers that. It as if the Lord knew we would feel that way and gave this as an ending. Verse five says, for all the people's walk, each in the name of its God. So here we are back in the present day. Everyone is walking in the name of their own God. What do we do? But we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. If your heart longs for that kingdom and that peace and that prosperity and that teaching just flowing like a river from the Lord, what do you do today? Walk in Jesus' ways today. That's what you do. People are going many different directions today, and that means that as they go their ways, we're going the Lord's ways, under his ways. And we're trying to pull them to come with us. They come, come to the mountain of the Lord with me. His ways are good there. So that means when the person in the cubicle next to you is going to TikTok to follow a witch to get relationship advice, you think I'm making that up. I'm not, that's a real thing. Uh, When they're doing that, you're saying, "I've, I've got my advice right here and I can't wait to get to Bible study tonight to get more. Uh, And that means that when when your aunt is deep into whatever's going to come after QAnon, I don't know what's going to be next, but whatever it is, when they're deep into that, you're saying, Lord, I'm following your teaching, your ways. I can't wait to get into your word again. That means that no matter what direction they go, we're following the ways of our Lord. Those who do that now can hope in the day when he teaches every last one of us. So here's the call then. This king is going to reign beautifully one day. And he invites you to become part of his kingdom today. He extends his hand and his scepter out and says, yes, you have sinned against me, but my blood has paid for this. Yes, you face death at the end of your life, but my resurrection could give to you eternal life. And He just says, come to me, all weary, all heavy laden. I will give you rest. This king is a good king. He has good ways for people, good forgiveness, and good salvation for us. My call to you, to every one of you, place your faith in him, trust in him, learn from him for he is gentle and he is lowly in heart. Amen. Let's pray together.